Good morning, everyone. So glad you guys are here with us. Uh, maybe introduce myself before, but I'm Clayton. I'm the pastor here at Central. I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest, man, I'm so, it's so awesome to have you here with us. And I know there's a lot of people online that are watching today, maybe for the very first time. So thanks for, for joining us uh, today. Because of COVID, we don't um, have any pieces of paper to hand out for you to follow along with today's message. But again, just so we talk about every Sunday, you can use the camera a feature on your phone and you can scan this QR code right now and you can uh, go and uh, digitally be able to follow along with today's message. So I encourage you to do that. So you can take notes, you can save those as PDFs and, and just have them forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, so yeah, you can, you can do that, man. So I'm so pumped about uh, today's message. We're beginning a new series, and man, we were in uh, politics for three weeks, and y'all thought I was crazy to do that, and um, yeah, I know I am a little crazy, but uh, we're jumping into um, something a little bit different um, today. So I don't know if y'all have ever looked at where your family has come, came from, uh, but I think it's an important thing that we all do. Uh, I did that with my family uh, recently, and I was thinking about uh, my grandparents, so my, my dad's side, they both come from, from Oklahoma, amen, okay, and you know, I'm from Texas, uh, they both come from Oklahoma, and my, my grandmother was actually uh, born and raised in a little town called Little Axe, which is actually not even around anymore, it's, uh, there's a lake somewhere uh, in Oklahoma, it's uh, Lake uh, Thunderbird, and uh, it's my grandparents, or my, my grandmother's I guess her house is at the bottom of the lake somewhere, but uh, that's where she was, she was raised, and uh, man, it's just interesting to see where you've come from. I, a couple of years ago, my sister's family and my family went together, and we bought my parents some, uh, those Ancestry.com, like, kits where you can figure out, you know, your ancestry and all that stuff, and so they swabbed their mouths, and we sent, sent, in, sent those in, and um, several months ha- uh, passed, and we were able to get the results back, and it was just awesome to see where uh, we came from in Europe and the different countries, the percentage that, that makes up our family. And, and you know, the, the Chisholm family is, I mean, we're, I guess we're kind of important back in Scotland. I didn't know that, but, uh, you know, well, not anymore. But back in the day, we had, a, we had land and we had a, well, it's not really a castle, but it was a big house back then. They called it kind of a castle. And I'm still waiting on, you know, some royalty checks or something to come in the mail. We haven't got anything yet, but uh, it's interesting to look back and see where your family has come from. And in fact, when it comes to, to, to biblical Things and it comes to our spiritual lives, I think it's important that we kind of take a step back sometimes and look at uh, where we have come from. And so today, and over the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about kings of old. And you see the graphic behind me on the screen. So in fact, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 29. So if you have your Bibles, man, jump there in the Old Testament and we'll get started. So we're going to be talking about today this guy named King Hezekiah. And so King Hezekiah, he had, there's several different places in the Bible that talk about his life. And so in 2 Kings 16 through 20, we hear about him. In 2 Chronicles 28 to 32, we hear about him. And then Isaiah 36 through 39, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, talks about him. Because it's, what's interesting is during King Hezekiah's reign, Isaiah was the prophet during that time. And really understand what's going on. we got to take a step way, way back and, and go all the way back to the beginning of, of the nation of Israel. And so at the very beginning... <clears throat> The people of God had one king, and that king was 
God, okay? The king was God. And they said, you know, we want, we want another king. We want a human king. And God says, man, it's not going to go good for you if you do that. And they said, we don't care. We know what we're talking about. And so we want kings. And so God said, okay, fine. And so they began to have kings. And the first king in this united kingdom, it was a, all the tribes, all the 12 tribes came together. And the first king was King Saul. And the second king was King David. And the third king was King Solomon, David's son, And then after that, everything went really bad. And so the nation split into two. You had a northern kingdom and you had a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was Israel. And the southern kingdom was Judah. You can always remember which one's north and south because Israel has an S in it. And so it's not south, it's north. That make sense? No, that's why I always always remember it. Okay, so so the, the kingdom split in half and they began to have their own kings. Here's what's crazy, guys. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, had 19 kings, and every single one of them was evil. The Bible says every single one of them was bad. They may have started out good, but they ended up bad. All of them, all 19 of them. And God gave them into the hands of the Assyrians, and they went off into captivity. The southern kingdom was Judah, and they had 20 kings. And the Bible says that only five of them were good. Only five of them were good. And one of them was King Hezekiah. Now, to backtrack a little bit with him, we got to look at where he came from. What was his family tree like? Well, his dad was king, and his dad's name was King Ahaz. And he reigned from, the, from when he was 20 years old to when he was 36 years old. For 16 years, he reigned. And when he was 36, he died. But here's what's crazy about this guy. He was the leader of the people of Israel. He was the leader of God's people. And yet the Bible says that he was an evil man. He was a wicked man. In fact, here's some things that he did. During his reign, the Assyrians were all around him, the, the ruling power of the day, the superpower of the day. And to appease them, he began to worship the Assyrian false demonic gods. He didn't just do it like, on, like by saying that he's going to do it. He actually, his, his walk backed up his talk. And he began to build altars to these gods in the high places. So the higher, higher areas, elevated areas, where wherever you were going, if you were walking to school, if you're going to the grocery store, it didn't matter where you're going, you'd always see these altars up on these high places. He began to put these altars to these false gods in all these different places. And then he went to the temple, King Solomon's grand, beautiful, amazing temple. And he took, in the outer court, they had this, this big altar. And they would, they would sacrifice um, animals and, and different things to the god uh, of the Bible. And he took this altar and he had it pushed aside, back into the corner. And he built this even bigger altar to these false gods. And they began to sacrifice on the temple mount to these false gods. And then this guy, this king, he goes and has the doors to the the temple. He had them nailed shut so people couldn't even come to worship anymore. And he took all of the the precious things, all the the things they used for worship, uh, he took those precious things, the precious vessels, and he just shattered them and broke them up and kind of threw them away. And he was trying to create a a place where God was not worshipped anymore. And then he went to all the different street corners, all the stop signs and all the street lights. And wherever you would find a, a crossroads, he would take these idols, and he would, he would place them there. These shrines were placed. So wherever you went in Jerusalem, you saw the gods that you were supposed to worship. This guy was a terrible king. And it got so bad, they get this. 
He even took several of his kids. He had a lot of kids. He took several of his kids, and the Bible records in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles that he took his kids and he sacrificed them on the altar to these false gods. A king of Israel did that. He left the nation of Judah in complete and utter ruin. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 1, that Hezekiah, his son, began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. So Hezekiah, he takes over this mess. Can you imagine if you've, you had to come in and you all of a sudden, you're the king, you're in charge, and you take over this incredible mess. And you know what? Most people thought that he was just going to be like his old man, right? Just be like his dad. And that was probably the easy way out, just to, to rule and reign just like his dad was doing. Because you know what? If he did that, the Assyrians would leave him alone. Everything would be good. And he'd probably have a lot of wealth, have an easy life. But here's what it says in the very next verse, in verse 2. The Bible says, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so I think there's several things that we can take away from this scripture and some other places we're going to look at it in his life that can help us to be just like King Hezekiah. Because Hezekiah, he's a great leader. And all of us, it doesn't matter if you're, you're leading a business or you're leading your family or just leading yourself. We are all leaders in some form or fashion. And King Hezekiah was a great leader. He was a great king because he did some things well. And so let's look at these things. Number one, he chose the right motive. He chose the right motive. In verse 2, that's what it says. He says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. See, Hezekiah, he had a choice. He had a choice to either follow after his dad and what his dad was doing, or he had a choice to follow after the Lord and what the Lord wanted him to do. And the Bible says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We all have choices, don't we? You know, for my family, we go to restaurants, man, it's, how many of y'all have a terrible time choosing what you're going to eat, okay? Yeah, you're just like, you're looking at it, there's just so many options, I just don't know what to, to, to choose. Well, for me, it's, that's, that's not the, the worst part for, for my, me and my family. What usually is, is in the, the parking lot, like every Sunday after church, we sit in the parking lot until like everybody's gone, because we're still, still sitting there going, where do you want to go eat? Where do you want to go eat? I don't know, where do you want to go eat? And so we ask, you know, our kids, where do you want to eat? And I don't know, and, and Hannah will say, I want to go to Logan's, and Corbin's like, I don't want to go to Logan's, because I went there last week. And then, you know, we're like, you want to get some Mexican food? And I was like, I don't want to eat Mexican food this time, let's go. And then we all decide, you know what, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And then we realize Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, you know? It's awful, right? It's terrible. So we sit there and we wait and wait and we cannot make a choice. But Hezekiah, he made a choice. Here's what he did. He chose to follow after God. He chose the right motive. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, Hezekiah, he chose a different path. He chose to do those things, even when they weren't popular, even when they may be difficult, even though, even though there might have been a lot of struggle along the way. He decided, you know what? I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be like my heavenly father, and I'm going to choose to do what's right. He chose the right motive. And here's what, here's what was Hezekiah's motive. And this may be something that we can think about in our own lives. His, his, his motive was for God to look down at him and see him and be proud. That's a good question we can, we can all ask in our own lives. 
If God, and he does, looks down on us right now, is he proud of me? Is he proud of you and the decisions that you've made? And that's what Hezekiah did. He said, you know what, I'm going to choose the right motive. My, the motive is, for me is going to be to do what is pleasing in God's eyes. That's what he did. He also became a great leader by, number two, calling things by their right name. He called things by their right name. Now, to understand this, we've got to go all the way back to, to Numbers um, chapter 21. And we read, and there's, there's a, a story where the, the Israelites, they are still going through the desert, right? They're trying to get to the promised land from Egypt. And uh, they follow after God, then they fall away. And they follow after God, and they fall away. They turn away. And the, during this, one of these turn away times, God sends all of these venomous snakes. How many of you like snakes? Okay, no hands. One hand. Oh, my goodness. Okay, um, we'll pray for you. Okay, so snakes are awful. They're terrible. Snakes are terrible because, I mean, if they're, if they're moving and they don't have any legs, there's something evil about them, right? And so I don't like snakes at all. And so these snakes begin to come into the camp of the Israelites. And people are starting to get bit. They start to die. And they, they plead to God, God, help us, save us. And so here's what the Bible says. So God said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So in this, this story, they take, a, a bron- they take bronze and they melt it down. They make this, this uh, big, I don't know, viper or something. I don't know what it is. And they put it on a pole. And Moses begins to walk around with it. And as people get bit, all they have to do is see it. And they will be healed and saved. And it was awesome. It was incredible. And people were praising God. And it was a miracle of the Lord. Well, guess what? This thing that was being used by God... It was kept by the Israelites. And century after century, generation after generation, they kept this bronze, bronze serpent on this pole. And they would bring it out on special occasions, and people were like, man, that's awesome what God's doing. But over time, they began to actually worship that thing. And they saw that thing not as God's power, but having power in itself. And they began to, the Bible says they began to, to offer sacrifices to it, which is crazy. And here's what it says. In 2 Kings 18, verse 4, back to Hezekiah's time, here's what he did. He removed the high places, so the high places we talked about, this dad had created, and he broke the pillars and cut down the asherah. So he broke down the, the, the shrines that were all over the city, and he broke in pieces, get this, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. And then it says this really weird phrase, and it was called Nehushtan. A weird name. If you're coming up with uh, names for your kids, you know, Bible names, don't use that name, okay? Uh, might sound cool to you, but don't use that name. Like, what in the world does Nehushtan mean? Here's what happened. Hezekiah goes in front of the people and he says, you know what? This is Nehushtan. All it is is Nehushtan. And what he's saying is, all this is, and this is the direct translation, it's just a metal snake. That's what he's saying. Hey, guys, this is, this is not God. It's no special powers. All it is is a metal snake. He was willing to call things by their right name. And here's the deal, guys. If we aren't careful in our lives, we'll begin to elevate things into places of importance that they were never meant to be. And we'll begin to worship things without us even realizing it because we, we offer sacrifices to, we're willing to sacrifice anything for this thing to happen in our lives if we aren't careful. Sometimes it's, it's money, right? 
That's an easy one. We can always kind of talk bad against the things that we, we try to idolize. But, you know, sometimes it's happiness and comfort and security. We want those things. You know, we're willing to sacrifice a whole lot to make sure that that happens. But in the church's life, I think we do that as well. Maybe when it comes to our traditions. Sometimes our traditions are so elevated and so high that we, we can't imagine church without those things. I don't know about y'all, but uh, does any of y'all miss pews? And we don't have pews here at this church, but man, every church that I've grown up in, been a part of, they've had, they've had pews, and I love pews. I think it's because I would take naps when I was little in a pew. Man, there's great, you can lay out, man, it was awesome. You had any cracks in there, you could just take a great nap. We used to go to the early service growing up, man, it was awesome. Taking an early, early morning nap, nothing better, okay? Um, glad the kids are gone, they don't hear that. But um, so, man, I, I, love, I love pews. I love passing the offering plate. I love the, the I remember the sound when I, was, when I was growing up and they would pass the offering plate and these, these wooden um, offering plates and them kind of clanking together when the, the deacons at the back of the ushers, they would put them together. I just, I just remember the act of like passing the plate. We don't do that right now because of COVID and, and things have definitely changed. Traditions have actually been taken away a lot because of COVID. But you know what, there's some other traditions that our church um, you know, kind of still holds on to and that we still hold on to as an American church. I think we got to be really careful to not elevate our traditions with God himself. We begin to worship those things and say, you know what, I can't, even, I can't imagine church without whatever that is. And really what it is, and a great illustration, is having open-hand issues and closed-hand issues. And so for here's what's going to happen at Central Baptist Church. We are always going to have some closed-hand issues. And the closed-hand issues are the gospel. It's never going to change. Us preaching the gospel is never going to change. Us holding the word of God extremely high in our lives is never going to change. Us worshiping Jesus and him alone is never going to change. But you know what? How we do that, it's got to change. We have to be willing to change all the time. And so you know what? We take, we take things like these drums over here. You go, what, man, I love these drums. Just, that's the only way I can worship is with a great beat, you know, where it's just like shaking. You know what? You know what that is? Those just metal drums, Right? And we got to be willing in our lives just to kind of flick them out of the way. You know, if, if those things are not um, reaching people anymore, and if those things aren't doing and helping us to fulfill our mission, which is to live for Christ, love people, and make disciples, if those things aren't, aren't working anymore, you know what? Maybe we need to change those things. I'm not saying we're getting rid of the drums next week, okay? I'm just saying that's just an example, okay? But here's the deal. Would you be willing to give up everything if it meant that people came to Christ? Would you be willing to give up this building and uh, these chairs and the comfort and the the lights and this ginormous screen behind me? Um, Would we be willing to give up all those things? Because here's the deal. If we went just to to narrow it down to the the tiniest, the simplest form of Christianity, you know what we need? We just need our Bible. That's all we need. In fact, the vast majority of Christians all over the world, billions of them, you know all they have? They just have their Bible. That's it. You know what? It works for him. It's, it's enough. It's enough. God's word, him speaking to us is enough. And so here's what we need to do. We need to recognize things for what they are. That's what he did. It's just a, just a metal snake, you know? In our lives, whether it's things we hold really high and really dear, or maybe it's the traditions we have in our church, we need to realize and recognize them for just that. They're just traditions. They're just things. They're not God. So this is what Hezekiah did. He chose the right motive. He put things in the right place. He, had, he gave them the right names, but he was also a great leader by this. Number three, 
He prepared a place for God to work. That's what Hezekiah did. He worked hard and prepared a place for God to work. And you know what? He never got to see it. He never got to see what actually happened. But here, this is, this is a, a great story. So back in Hezekiah's day, they had the Jerusalem and they had high walls for protection. And they would always get um, out, outside forces and armies would come to try to conquer them. And they had their, their, their protected walls. But there was a spring, the spring of uh, Gihon, if I'm saying it correct. And it was right outside of the walls. Is that a good place to have a spring for all your water? Now, the water actually kind of flowed underneath the wall and went um, in there. But you know what? If you were getting um, um, under siege, man, that's a terrible place to have a spring. And so Hezekiah realized that, recognized that. And so what he did is he went and he had it completely covered up. They just covered up the spring. And they began to, to dig a tunnel. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. They began to dig this tunnel all the way underground, all the way inside the, the city walls to protect it. In fact, the Bible talks about it. And it says this in 2 Kings chapter 20. Verse 20 says, the rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he had made this pool and the conduit and, and brought water into the city. Ask this question, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And I would answer that question, well, yes, they are. If you go to 2 Chronicles, the book of the Chronicles, the Bible says in verse 30, or chapter 32, verse 30, says the same Hezekiah, he closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. He built this 1,777-foot tunnel through solid rock underground. Here's an illustration of what it looks like. You can see the, the, the spring outside of the city walls. And they began to dig this tunnel. It took a really long time. Lots of manpower with chisels and pickaxes, and they dug this tunnel all the way inside the city. You think that's crazy looking. Look at this next picture. That's it. Today you can go there, and you can actually go and see Hezekiah's tunnel. And you can see what actually happened. There's still water flowing through there, guys. Hezekiah built that. It's incredible to think. But go back to that, next, that last picture. Where did the water end up? The pool of Siloam. When I heard, when I saw that, I was like, that, that reminds me of something, right? Pool of Siloam, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, John chapter 9, when Jesus heals a blind man. 700 years later, after Hezekiah built this tunnel, we read the story of Jesus healing this blind man. This guy was, he was blind from birth. So it wasn't just a, man, it, was just a, it wasn't just a temporary thing. I mean, he had no sight at all. And Jesus is walking in Jerusalem. He sees this guy. He goes in the Bible, you know, this crazy story you probably heard when you were little. And he spit on the ground, makes this mud pie, which is awesome. And uh, he puts this, this mud pie on, on his face. And he says, okay, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So this guy, he, he crawls um, to the, the pool, gets in. And he, when he gets out of the water, he is healed. And it's just an incredible story of God having a, doing a miracle in this man's life. And more importantly than that, if you read the rest of the story, it's, it's pretty long. But... He actually has two, two things incredible happen. One, he gets saved. Uh, Jesus saves him. But another, he has an opportunity to be a witness. And it's my, one of my favorite Bible passages because this, this guy, the, the Pharisees are actually saying, hey, um, who, who, who do you think you are? Um, you're a nobody. Um, what happened to you? And, and, and the guy says, you know, I don't know. But this guy, Jesus, healed me. And they're like, how did that happen? He says, I don't know. Once I was blind, but now I see, right? 
famous passage. And it's so funny, uh, my, my favorite passage, because he ends up uh, saying, they're, they're going back and forth with them, and, and he says, man, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to be one of his disciples too? Right? They ask, that's what the guy says to the, these Pharisees, and they're just like, oh, they're so mad at him. And it was a crazy story. But man, that happened because Hezekiah was willing to work hard for God to have a place to work. Isn't that amazing? Hezekiah, 700 years before, Hezekiah was willing to do that, and God used it to bring glory to himself. And so in Hezekiah's life, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that speak to us today. But if I was to sum up, you know, today's passage or, or sermon, it would be this, that Hezekiah, he was, he was all in. He was all in for God. He wasn't halfway in. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't run towards something else. He said, you know what? Even though it's going to be difficult, even though it's going to be tough for me to change the, the culture of the entire nation, I am going to do what God wants me to do. I am all in for God. So the question I have for us today is which part of Hezekiah's life speaks to you today? Do you identify with today? I think we'll look at these, these three in a different way. Let's just ask some questions to ourselves to get us to think a little bit. Here's the first question I have for you. Do my decisions flow from my heart or from heaven? Where do my decisions flow from? It's all about having the right motive, right? Making the right decisions. It's are you willing to take bad advice or are you willing to take good advice? And I love what, what Hezekiah did because he, I, I was reading the verse earlier in Proverbs, that famous Proverbs about, you know, don't trust in your heart, but, but trust in the Lord. And did you know that Hezekiah had that, those Proverbs? And so in the middle of him making decisions, you know what he did? He went to the temple, took the scroll out, went down to Proverbs 3 and said, okay, what does it say? He began to read what God told him to do. And he said, you know what? I'm going to do that. When it would have been easy for him to say, you know what? I'm king. I can make any decision I want. That's a crazy feeling, right? No one can tell me no. I can do whatever I want. But he said, no, what? it's not going to be based on my heart. It's going to be based off of God's word. Jeremiah 17.9 says this about our heart. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And our culture today says, Follow your heart, right? What a terrible, terrible word of advice. The Bible says don't follow your heart, follow the Lord. And that's what we have to, have to decide for ourselves. Do my decisions flow from my heart or from heaven? Question number two, is my heart crowded with pedestals? Are there things in your life that you're elevating to where they should never be? Yeah, you know, I, love, I love teachers because they don't put up with anybody, right? You know, you know a teacher in your family, they, they don't care who you are. They don't care if you're the best athlete, the most popular kid in school. They don't care if you're the class clown. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're trying to be someone you're not, the teacher will call you out, won't they? Right? For everybody. It's great. It's kind of sad when it's me, right, when <laughs> they call me out. But, but a teacher will call, call you out. And you know what? We need to be doing the same thing. If there are things in our heart, things in our lives that we put on pedestals, we need to call them out. We will be willing to say, that's just my tradition. That's just a thing. Even though I like it, even though, you know, um, I, I want that to happen, that's just a thing. Here, here's a great example for this week. The election results. Have we put 
the results of the election on a pedestal so high in our heart that it consumes everything in our life this week. I'm telling you what, for me, election night, I was up and I'm just watching, scrolling, hitting refresh. I mean, I'm looking at all the count coming in. I'm just, I was getting so, so much, so much anxiety. It was just crazy. I finally, I was like, I, I got to go to bed, right? I got to go to bed. But you know what? As soon as I woke up in the morning, I was online. That. I was like, I see what happened. What happened overnight, you know? And it's just day after day, right? You're trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm telling you what, after a while, I said, you know, it's not where my heart needs to be. I've put that on a pedestal. And you know what? It doesn't matter what happens. Because like we talked about the other weeks, God is still God, right? He has a plan. It doesn't matter what, it, what, what our plans are. He has a plan, and he's going to see it through, and it's going to be for our good. How about this? Are your kids on a pedestal? Sorry. Right? Are your kids on a pedestal. You know how we know if your kid's on a pedestal? Are you willing to sacrifice, seriously sacrifice, so that they can have an awesome, perfect, easy life? You know what you're doing? You're sacrificing an idol. And I hate to say that, because I've got, you know, I got kids and that, that's tough. But we've got a whole culture that does that today, right? What do we call them? Helicopter parents, right? Helicopter parents just hovering over kids, making sure nothing ever bad happens. We don't call, actually we don't call them helicopter parents anymore. We call them lawnmower moms. So a lawnmower mom is someone that mows down all the competition and all the problems, okay? And so your kid can just walk right behind them and nothing ever bad is going to happen. It's us, yeah, it's us sacrificing for our kids in a way that it becomes unhealthy. And we don't want anything to ever happen. We want them to have to ever make any tough decisions or, or even fail, Right? And learn from that mistake, that's tough. It's easy to say, say that, right? But when it actually is, is happening, it's hard to do that. But here's what we need to do. We need to make sure that God is number one in our lives. Amen? Now, those things are great. Caring about the election is great. Caring for our kids is great. But they cannot be number one in our lives. And here's the final question. Am I digging wells? In your own life, are you digging wells? Are you preparing a place? That's another way, another way of saying it. Are you preparing a place for God to work in your life? You know, what, you know how God works in your life? You're like Hezekiah, you, you prepare for it. You prepare for God to work. So if you want him to work in your heart, you prepare your heart for God to work. If you want God to work in your family, you need to prepare your family for God, for God to work inside of it. If you want God to get the honor and glory in your business, or um, in your profession, you need to work to, to make that happen. You need to do the difficult things so that God can work in the middle of those situations. And here, here's, here's a simple way maybe to illustrate this or ask this. Do you want God to move in this church? No? Okay, awesome. I'll go on the next thing. Um, <laughs> do you want God to move in this church and do something great? Yeah. You know what needs to happen? We need to prepare for that. And one of the best ways for us to prepare for that is when we are all working together. And the way that works is that we're all serving. Jesus was a servant. He calls us to be servants. So the question is, maybe, where are you serving in this church? Uh, we can't be a church of pew sitters. You know what a church of pew sitters are? They're empty churches, okay? Eventually, they're empty churches. We need to be people who serve. So my challenge to you today is this. If you're not, you don't have a place to serve in this church, find one, right? And begin to prepare, begin to work as you pray and say, God, do something great here. I'm working, God. I'm preparing a place, and I'm, I'm expecting you to do amazing things. I am digging wells. 
And, that, and guys, that's what it means to be all in for God. In fact, to be all in for God means first you got to give your life to Christ. We're talking about all this stuff, but maybe some people in this room, they have never done that. To say, you know what, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm tired of trying to get to heaven on my own. I'm willing to put my trust in you. I'm willing to depend on you for my salvation. Because Jesus died for all of us. He's willing to hang on the cross for you. And the gift of salvation is when we say, you know what, thank you, God. I'm accepting that. I'm accepting that payment for me. And so I want to give everybody an opportunity, if you've ever, never done that, to <clears throat> here in a second, to, to make that choice for Christ today. To say, you know what, I'm all in. And maybe for some of us, you're all in is a little bit different. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I'm a Christian, but haven't been all in for God. And I need to find a place to serve. I need to take some things that are pedestals in my life. And I, need to, I need to put those down. And I need to elevate God in my life and in my heart to make him number one. Maybe I need to call things by their right name. Maybe I need to have the right motive. Maybe I need to change my heart and say, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not gonna make my decisions based on my own heart and what's just easy and, and what makes me comfortable. But instead, I'm gonna say, you know what? My life is gonna count. It's not gonna count for making much of myself. It's gonna be count for making much of God. What is that gonna take? It's gonna take trusting the Lord, following his word, and doing maybe sometimes the difficult things. Would you all stand with me? As we close, I wanna give all of you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. I'll be down here at the front. Maybe you would like to come and kneel and, and just talk to the Lord. Maybe you want to come talk to me. We have our staff right over there in the connection room. They'd love to sit down and, and talk with you about what it means to follow after Christ the very first time. Maybe it's time for you to, to come and join this church and be a part of a fellowship and say, you know what, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a part of this, and we're going to do great things. Whatever God is calling you to do, this is an opportunity to go and do that right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word this morning. Thank you for, for teaching us and encouraging us. Thank you for challenging us. Lord, I just confess in my own life, there's some things that I put in a, in a really high pedestal and they never should be there. But just like Hezekiah, he was willing to call them by their right name. Just a piece of metal. God, what are the pieces of metal in our lives that we need to, to take down? God, convict us and change us. Help us to, to see a bigger picture of our lives. Help us to have the right motive to follow after you that you would look down on us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, Lord, to dig deep wells in our church, in our family, in our personal uh, spiritual lives so that, God, you have a place to work. We do all this for you and in your name we pray.